Hey, gearheads, and welcome to GT Garage Talk, a discussion about all things automotive. I am your host, Corey, and on this week's episode, we have a lot to talk about. We dance a little bit all over the place from auto shows to fun cars to vehicle design to parts shortages and just the industry as a whole bringing back a longtime listener of the show, fan of the show, multiple returning time guest of the show, the one, the only vehicle nanny himself, Bill Taylor. He does an amazing job giving us insight here on the channel that uh, we cannot get anywhere else. Being a longtime General Motors employee, he has a unique and different approach uh, to the industry because he was in it for so long and continues that passion through his outlet vehicle nanny where he stokes that uh, fire of vehicle passion uh, in the next generation of gearheads out there in the world. We thank him for that. He also guest lectures at a local university and just a lot of really cool insight from Bill. So I, I won't ramble. Let, let's bring Bill on. Bill, so great to have you back. We've been chatting a little bit so far, but uh, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure to be with you. And I've just been following you like crazy. It seems like you are on every medium out there except for newspaper. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the idea has crossed my mind to reach out to the local newspaper just to pad my numbers a little bit. But Recently, according to my dad, who canceled his subscription after ever, forever, uh, <laughs> they've dropped to like a three-a-week delivery schedule now. So I'm like, I don't even think that would help pad my numbers at this point. I I'm just going to no. keep pushing in the digital realm and let print do what print do. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I had been subscribing to Car and Driver for a couple mm. of years, and it, I love, I you know, I've loved it, you know, since the seventies when I was first driving and, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, now they're starting to combine a couple of months and it's getting thinner and you can't find them in stores. It's only by mail. So it's, you can kind of see it withering away, even though still great content, but yeah. limited. I, you know, it, it was very fun. And some conversations I've had with Mike Satterfield, the gentleman racer, I asked him at one point because he kind of dabbles. Well, he doesn't kind of dabble. He does uh, play in the print arena with the gentleman racer and i asked him i said at what point does print become that kind of chic vinyl record type uh everybody seeks out that and his reply was it already has and i was kind of like yes and no like it is really cool to see your stuff in print especially photography yeah but i, I don't know I don't know yet. And, and maybe that's just maybe a misunderstanding on my part of how cool vinyl is right now. Um, the fact that I describe it as cool may also date me. So who knows? Who knows? I don't think so. And, you know, there's a couple of magazines like Road and Track went to, you know, a very artistic mm -hmm, mm -hmm. magazine. I think it's only six times a year now or maybe even less. Almost coffee table worthy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then... Haggerty has a driver's club magazine yes. that I subscribe to, even though I don't currently have a car insured with them. It's, I mean, phenomenal artwork, really great articles. And it's, you know, that, that one's worthy. And I, I have a hard time recycling that one. I, I've got a stack of them in my drawer. 
Well, I've shared it before on the podcast here, but I have a very strong affinity for car magazines because at one point in my life, before finding a wife, I had maybe a decade's worth of both car and driver and motor trend that I just got rid of. And now it eats at my soul. I'm like, I have an attic. They could just be up there not bothering anyone. And like, I started with the 1999 Camaro SS versus SVT Mustang Cobra versus uh, the blue and white Pontiac Trans Am. Okay. And that was like the first, and I could still picture the cover and everything of that car and driver. And from then on, for nearly a decade, if not more, I had every issue and I had them in order in bookshelves in my room. Nice. And it's kind of sad that I don't have that anymore. There were some... a lot of brands did a lot of interesting things in that time frame, and to, oh, not no have, doubt. to not have record of that kind of makes me a little sad. Like the the weirdest one that pops to mind was the Pontiac Grand Am SCT. Do you remember that? You were probably with the company at the time. Of course, yeah. So uh, four da- four door Pontiac Grand Am, but it had four Recaro racing buckets in it. I can't remember what they did to the engine. I had a Pontiac Grand Am four-door at one point in my life, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to make an SCT out of this. Never did. <laughs> you know, that was, you know, I started at Chevrolet in 1984, and we weren't really, we had to get special permission to buy another GM product oh, if wow. it wasn't Chevrolet. Wow. And same for the others, because the general managers back then were compensated by the number of VINs they sold. Mm-hmm. And so if you, you know, bought the Pontiac guy's product, it was bad. So I through a roundabout way bought a, a new 86 Pontiac two-door Grand Am mm-hmm. because I loved the red gauges at night, mm-hmm. which was the Pontiac thing back in the 80s. Yep. And, and, the, and they know, carried... silly, I didn't care about the car. I just loved that instrumental panel. <laughs> and, and they carried on until the brand's demise, which, you know, I, I've brought this up with others on the, on the podcast, but could you imagine what a Pontiac Dodge revival or rivalry would look like at this stage like because Pontiac positioned themselves as the excitement division and they really were the Firebird was way more cool and just out there than the Camaro was Uh, you had the GTO which some say was lame and some say was the coolest vehicle that Pontiac made in the modern era you had a lot of fun stuff going on there and then yes the Aztec and stuff like that but Hey, I had an Aztec and loved it. <laughs> I had a friend that had one, and she loved it as well. And they were cool and fun and quirky, and they they earned their place. Speaking of car and driver, I, just this morning I read an article of 10 or 20 cars their editors wish were not discontinued. And sure enough, Pontiac Aztec was on the list. See, so, it was ahead of its time, Corey. Yeah, it, it, it really was. It and, was the original Overlander. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, and I, I did an article on this maybe a year ago, and I called it the angry toaster because that's <laughs> what Bob Lutz referred to it as when he came to GM. But it had an interior that was really cool and functional. Mm-hmm. And heck, it had a it had a cooler as a center console. Mm-hmm. A, removable a removable cooler. cooler. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of Pontiac Aztec love on this, <laughs> this podcast. As much as I go. can pretend to ignore it. Yes. So... You wrap all that up, and that's not to say 
very modern Dodge hasn't had some missteps. I mean, the Journey, while it was a good, capable three-row crossover, wasn't Dodge <laughs> exciting like we know them right now. Uh, they've the I think there's that uh, Magnum. I believe they had uh, they had they had a few f- kind of misses, but. As we know their lineup now, Charger, Challenger, and Durango, can you imagine a Pontiac lineup to go head-to-head with that? With, mm, I I would love to have seen it. And what could have been if things had gone a little bit differently in 2008? I just, uh, yes. Anyway. I agree. (laughs) No, I agree. There's all kinds of interesting things. And, you know, Dodge has taken some chances, which I respect. Mm -hmm. you know, like the Magnum could have been a runaway hit. I think in some circles it was, uh, you know, Pontiac, whether it's the Aztec or a number of other things. I just love it when an automaker, especially one that's kind of a mass market automaker, takes a chance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I tend to gravitate toward the quirky. So usually when I go, hey, that's a that's a great car. That's usually a sign that's not going to do well with sales, <laughs> but it's going to be a great car for Bill to drive. Yes, yes. Uh, which... Okay, speaking of automakers taking chances, yes, this is like I did not see this one coming at all, and it's been interesting to watch. But you have a traditionally very conservative automaker in Toyota. Say, like at one, you can almost see in their product line development. Somebody said, "Okay, we're no longer going to be the appliance brand. We're no longer just going to be." Reliable. I'm staring at a picture of the Solar Octane Orange 2022 Tundra TRD Pro that they brought me. That thing is anything but conservative. It is bold. It is brash. It is in your face. And it's like Toyota five, ten years ago would never have made something like that. And it's very interesting to see when there is a big shift in automakers that say, all right, you know, here's where we were. Here's what, and and they don't even quote unquote need to have done it. They have been resting very. I don't want to say resting on their laurels. That implies complacency, but they could have rested on their reliability right. laurels and and just kept making good, practical, run of the mill vehicles. But now they're. I drove a TRD Camry for crying out loud. The there's <laughs> the Toyota in my garage right now is lime green. What what's going on at that brand? Well, and not only that with the trucks, but look what they're doing with cars still. Whether it's that Camry, mm-hmm. the GR86, Ugh. which let's face it is a Subaru, but mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. And I love and that then car. The, <laughs> then the GR Corolla. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Over 300 horsepower from a three-cylinder engine? Would you have ever predicted that? Never. Not from anyone, especially not Toyota, because again, right. like they were the reliable, the the go-to. Hey, I just need a good car to run 300,000 miles or more. Go buy a Toyota. And now it's like, I want something fun and reliable and last 300,000 miles. Well, go buy a Toyota. So it's, (laughs) yes, uh, it's very interesting to see the evolution of automakers and what they do, what they're bringing to the table. You know, uh, I... There's so much interesting stuff going on. The push for electrification is changing things a little bit. And 
other brands are stepping out in front of others. And, you know, you've got General Motors basically waging war on Tesla, saying we are going to be the leaders. And that kind of leads into a topic you and I were planning on at least touching on (laughs) here in this episode. And that is Detroit Auto Show, uh, Texas, uh, State Fair, Texas, and the auto show there. You saw the new Equinox. You've seen the new Blazer. You and I both have strong opinions on the Blazer. Uh, but what what are your feelings with, do you think that new Equinox EV has what it takes to dethrone Tesla in sales volume when you've got a mainstream automaker making something quote-unquote starting price 30000 or under 30000 It'll probably be twenty nine nine ninety five for a model that nobody has on their floor. But I do. Uh, matter of fact, I think that's brilliant because up until then, I really felt GM had abandoned the affordable vehicle segments, mm-hmm. you know, which is why Maverick has been so successful, especially a hybrid Maverick, if you could get one. Yes. <laughs> but I do think that they can do that. I mean, they cut the price on the Bolt and the Bolt EUV mm-hmm. for, I mean, they. Ha- I think they had to. Right. But um, those who've driven them, and I haven't, but, you know, say they're perfectly great cars mm-hmm. for, you know, the normal consumer who needs a vehicle to get around. You know, for us, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't like to use the word retired because I don't think I've stopped, but right. it's a different... It's actually rewired. There you not go. Retired. There you go. I appreciate that. And and um, you know, my wife is much the same. We would be an ideal electric car family, at least one car. Right. Electric. But I think Equinox perfect. And let's face it, where Tesla really falls short, and I see all the comments, seems to be build quality mm-hmm. and service after the sale. Yep. And, and this is where GM will shine. And I remember one of the first uh, podcasts I was on with you and, and Matt, we were talking about, you know, what would be GM's competitive advantage? I said, it's the dealer network. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've got 4,200 outlets that could service an electric vehicle. Hello, Tesla. Where's your service center at? Yep. And, you know, that cannot be discounted. I know dealers are being portrayed in the poorest of lights in the current market because it seems every video I upload, I only report MSRP on any dealer loan that I've got. It is up to the dealer to market and sell the vehicles however they will. I'm not going to blast them for putting a, uh, a, a markup on their vehicles because they know their product. They know what they've got. They know the bills that they have to pay, and they know how many vehicles they're turning every month and how many they can expect to come in to turn next month. So right. there's still a whole business side of things, and the free market being what it is, when supply catches back up to demand, we're going to see a, a big shift. You've got brands like Ford adamantly pushing back on their dealer networks so that their brand reputation does not suffer in the midst of it. But it's a very interesting time to be in the dealer world for sure. But uh, I don't even know where I got on this rant, but I just feel like so often dealers get blasted, maybe sometimes fairly, because I know like 
every once in a while there will be a 60 grand markup on a Corvette Z06. And that's outrageous. Like, I get it. You've got a super rare product, but at the same point, like it's not doing anybody any good sitting on your showroom floor. Like you want people out driving those. At the same time, I know of small dealers that have employees that had to pay and mouths that had to be fed and bills that need to be covered. And they're only getting, you know, 50% of the vehicles they were making in their heyday and they've got to make do and adjustments. So I see both sides of it, but yeah. Yeah. The market will take care of that. And, and look at how things are starting to shift as, you know, now supply chain starting to, you know, inch its way forward. But at the same time, rates are up. So now you're starting to see a couple of cars sit on dealer lots. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's not where it was pre-pandemic. But I don't – I have real mixed feelings about beating up on a dealer over the markup mm-hmm. thing. As a consumer, I choose not to not to participate. Yes. And guess what I also do? I remember who those dealers were. <laughs> yep. And I think that the you know customers have short memories sometimes, but I also know that – these these times are very fleeting and nobody seems to comp- complain when the dealers force the discount vehicles right right it's... right so uh you know i say let the market dictate that i do not know how ford is going to control that you know when i was with saturn and we finally started getting some good product in 0607 especially with the sky mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we had some saturn retailers trying to mark it up and most of the network said Hey, don't do that to the brand. We just built the brand, and and our general manager was really great because GM Lego was all over saying, <laughs> "Don't go down this path." Right. Talking them in this big setting, and she just kind of put it out there. Said, "You know, we've built this brand. This is not what we're about." She goes, "I really would hate to see a retailer not get some new product because of bad behavior," and that's all she had to say. She didn't say it was going to happen, and all of a sudden the room just went quiet. It was next subject. <laughs> so it, these things have a way of working themselves out is the, is the point I'm trying to make. Yep. And it's, it's, um, it's frustrating, yep. but if you've got the money to pay 60 grand over sticker for a Z06. And you just okay. want to be the first one driving one in your neighborhood, go for it. If yeah. that, if that's important to you in life. Okay. I guess, you know, good for you. But <laughs> Yeah, not not the world I live in, but if if it works for you, go on and do it. Because again, the free market being what it is, and we're dangerously getting into political topics here. But uh, if nobody will pay it, nobody will have to pay it. And as right. long as they're still getting what they deem the return on their markup is they'll keep doing it and yes the it it will all even out for sure the the funny thing to me is bless their hearts the blue oval oval company is having trouble getting blue ovals now not not so much chips so they've got lots and lots and lots of trucks sitting out there that people are spying from satellite uh, imagery and it's all because they're missing blue ovals on the front. And right. that one's, that's odd to me. <laughs> like, how, well, how do you run out of your logo? <laughs> well, it's interesting. And I um, obviously have a lot of friends in the industry. And, and I have one that uh, is connected with the company in Michigan that makes it the single source that makes those mm. blue ovals, mm. by the way. 
and they ran into a little bit of trouble because they were dumping some carcinogenics into the local river. Mm. And that's why they had to slow down their production yeah. because they had a little cleanup to take care of. Yeah, my goodness. You know, when things stress the industry, you start to see all the other cracks everywhere else. So the the first domino to fall was obviously coronavirus and the lockdowns. And then that created the reallocation of chips and all that stuff. And that created a shortage, which then created reallocation and shortages, which from a business case perspective, like I'm going back to my college business classes and I'm like, man, this, (laughs) this sure would be fun to study 10, 20 years from now and just see how it all played out, you know, from 20,000 feet above and, and just see how this led to this, how this led to that. And I don't know. Very, it's, very interesting stuff. Well, it's you know, everything that's happened the last couple of years with shortages, it, it's caused dealers to market vehicles differently. Mm-hmm. It's finally pushed them into doing more online retailing, not necessarily from, you know, beginning to end, but certainly from a in, right thick in the middle of the shopping process. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I enjoy doing is, and we'll probably touch on this, um, I guess lecture at, at Northwood University. Yep. They have a really wonderful automotive marketing and management class. And a lot of them, a lot of the students there come from dealership families who are trying to learn more about the business before they go back to that. Or there are others who just want to get into that side of the business. And as I talk to them about digital marketing and or just the history of automotive, mm-hmm. you look at all that's happened in the last couple of years. I said, you know, you are all on the cusp of some very interesting and fast changes in automotive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think they, they get it, but I don't know that they really understood the magnitude of what they were watching unfold in front of them. Yeah. And it's, it makes for some really lively discussions, which obviously I love to right. death, but it's, it's, it's very fascinating to see everything that's changing. These are things, behaviors we wanted dealers to change 10 years ago when I was, pushing digital marketing with, with the GM dealers and they had it too good. They didn't need it. Now they need it. And they're like, where was that tool again? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is very interesting. And, you know, I'm pushing 36 and just to see, since I really got into cars, how everything has changed, how brands go to market. I remember like it was huge news. It was Everything GM could push out, GMBuyPower.com, which was yeah. like the first online build and price. That was like yep. the thing. Now everybody's got their own build and price. I don't even know what happens if you go to GMBuyPower.com anymore, if it even still exists and redirects you somewhere. I'm sure it redirects. Yeah, but I spent so much time on that website building my dream Camaro and optioning this and that and this and that and what happens if you do this and what happens if you do that and now everybody's got one to varying degrees of success i will say as much as i love the brand overall kia's is probably my least favorite because it is not very intuitive in how it operates Mm. and they almost want to like I don't know. They don't. They don't want you to nitpick options. They want you to pick packages or something. I, I'm not a fan of Kia's to say the least. But it, it seems like everyone else you can 
almost instantly get on, figure out exactly what your vehicle is going to cost. And, you know, talking about the shift uh, and how everybody's doing online stuff, General Motors' big push now is their, I know uh, Chevy brands it, I think it's Chevy My Way, and you can log on and take basically a virtual tour of a vehicle with a an advisor that kind of walks you through it and you can ask questions and you can ask to see this and that and I know that's how I got into automotive reviewing videos I started watching tons of automotive review content when I wanted the new uh, Silverado because uh, let's see when did they redo them uh, all the years are running together but uh, the they had those row of buttons, those toggle switches on the center console, and depending on what trim you got, you got different options along that row of buttons, and sometimes you got blanks, and sometimes you got yeah. what we affectionately refer to in our house as the fart button that rolls all four windows down at once, and <laughs> uh, just I all, get it. <laughs> all, all kinds of fun options there, but I was watching so many review videos because I really wanted one of those trucks, but I had to figure out what all those buttons were and what they would be on the version I wanted. And now Chevy basically does that uh, in-house where I could log on, schedule a time with a an advisor, and I could ask, okay, show me a Trail Boss Silverado uh, with you know, the just show me the row of buttons because you know not every car reviewer fixates on those row of toggle buttons, and so yeah. <laughs> but the minute the first guy does, now it's in the library. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's interesting the um, the evolution of vehicle ordering and how that's happened. You know, I I was assisting with that in the seventies, and it was on paper Oof. and. There were no option packages. You, I mean, everything was a free flow option, and you could have a really crazy combined vehicle. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, and then it wasn't until the late '90s that ordering went from mainframe yeah. ordering to actually being web based. Yeah, I can and this imagine is that internally, being... internally yeah. within GM. I'm not talking about for the consumer. I can imagine that just being a big shift. Uh, I spent 11 years of my life doing analytics in the grocery store industry. And I came on board with that company right after they finished their, like it was over a year, but a year plus project going from one data management infrastructure to what I'm sure they still use to this day. Uh, I'll, I'll utter the letters SAP. Ever, everyone in the uh, <laughs> enterprise industry knows SAP, and it's funny I see billboards for them now. But just the big shift in that back end that no customers see, but definitely affects how businesses go to market. And you know, I've always appreciated our friendship and our conversations because you can give so much insight into what. I, as a General Motors fan, didn't see during those rough years. You know, we've yeah. we've had many conversations online and off about uh, why certain things came to be. And you know, if I were much into writing, I've done it, I've dabbled in it, but it would. I feel like it'd be really fun to write a book over the evolution of GM through the mid to late two thousands to basically 
end up where we are now. And I don't know. A lot of interesting stuff has gone on there. My business well, mind is just turning. There's a good one that Bob Lutz wrote, and it pretty much takes General Motors through bankruptcy and just out of it. Because he, he came on in 2001-ish mm-hmm. as product guy, and he was being consulted by the CEO at the time, Rick Wagner, about GM's product portfolio. And he's like, where would I find a, a Bob Lutz that could help us out? And Bob Lutz goes, let me come in. Yeah. And that's when he, you know, he helped reshape the product portfolio, saw us through bankruptcy. Um, he had some very strong opinions about how all that was handled. And it's, I, I've got the book and it's something about bean counters versus car guys or something <laughs> like that. But it's very, that's a really good uh, intuitive one. There's a couple of really good books out there. John Smith, who used to be general manager of Cadillac through the 90s and you know he's got one it's called like fin tails oh okay that just came out and i think i haven't read it but i probably know a lot of the characters in it but those are good books if you want to kind of see the behind the scenes because now they can tell that story yeah they're out of their agreements and uh yes uh, you know I, well, their pensions have been cashed in you know <laughs> no longer legally or uh, financially bound to yeah exactly but that's it's and that's what makes it such an interesting industry. There are so many th- decisions that are made sometimes for all the right reasons, and times it's you know, hey, we can really eke out a profit by you know doubling down on this or I mean, any number of things. You know, obviously, badge engineered cars was not a great decision, but you know there were there were requirements to get X number of units out, and sometimes that's short, how you did it. Yeah, it was a good short term fix, but when it became like the go to. And got very little differentiation between brands. It's like, what what are we even doing here? And eventually, the mainstream customer does figure it out. And, you know, you get the best value and the other one goes by the wayside. So That's right. That's right. We just spent time. I haven't put the video up, but uh, I do believe as this episode goes live, it will be out. We spent time in a Buick envision avenir which is a modern badge engineered vehicle it shares components with the uh, equinox the gas powered equinox and the gmc terrain but it really stands on its own on a lot of merits and spoiler alert if you haven't watched the video was really well received in our household and i can speak to this because uh while we had it, I drove to an off-road focused event where I was driving a lot of off-road vehicles. Then I drove that lime green Toyota 4Runner home through Dallas and Fort Worth rush hour traffic and then came home to immediately film my solo review of that. And it was so refreshing <laughs> to get into to a vehicle that was so smooth and so plush and so nice and didn't nosedive every time you stepped on the brakes. <laughs> yeah. And... and you know, Buick is churning out some really good products, and well, yeah, General Motors yeah. is, and I, I, I think we are in a a very good time in the industry because the competition has gotten so fierce, and nobody can rest on any sort of laurels like we we're the biggest. Well, you aren't anymore, or we we do the most. Well, maybe you don't. You know, it's just it, there have been so many paradigm shifts in the past twenty years that. 
You know, it, the status quo is no more. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things, and I agree with the Envision, I've not driven one, but I have certainly walked around it enough times and really marveled at the, the design of it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've driven the, the original Envision, mm-hmm. the, the prior generation, and it was a nice vehicle. This one appears to be a lot nicer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so many vehicles, you know this because you see them all, the similarity in the profiles, mm-hmm. you know, how, how can you differentiate an SUV? How many different ways can you? It's either going to be blocky or it's going to be swoopy. And, and to that point, how many variations can you do that with? To that point, the other vehicle we had at the exact same time is the most similar looking vehicle on the market to the current Buick Envision. We had the Mazda uh, CX-50, which again, very similar proportions, low, wide, flat hood, you know, just very yeah. similar, even had the fake fence <laughs> in the same places, like could not have asked for, it, it happened by happenstance, like I did not plan it, but I had them both in my driveway at the same time, and I was like, these are the two most similar looking vehicles, and naturally, they came up in in the reviews of one another, or at least the Mazda came up in the Buick, uh, because the Buick was reviewed after the fact. And you know, they both serve their own purpose. Both are very nice and luxurious. But uh, I will leave my review comments there and point yes. you to YouTube or Facebook where those full videos are. But yes, uh, there is so much, and. It, it goes back to, I'm still staring at this Toyota Tundra. Everybody claims that everything looks just like X. Uh, the new Mustang came out and everybody's calling it a Camaro or a Challenger. Uh, a new truck comes out and everybody claims it looks like X or Y. This new Tundra does, ha- I don't know that anyone has compared it to anything else because it doesn't look like anything else. And it is refreshing when brands do that and they say, you know what, we're just going to, you know, buck the trend. We're, this is our design language now and we're going to go with it. And they absolutely stand out in the pack. May not be for the best of reasons at first, but I think the market has come around on Tundra styling and it'll be interesting to see as other brands get a full refresh what next gen. F-150 looks like, next-gen Silverado looks like. I mean, we already know yeah. what the Silverado EV is going for. So, I don't know. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, you know, to your point about the Mustang, and and I had the opportunity to go down to the Detroit Auto mm-hmm. Show during the, the normal show week, not right. when you press types <laughs> get to play around with it. But I did it during the middle of the day, so it was very lightly traveled. Mm-hmm. And I stood at that the new Mustang and I can see where there was when you see pictures of that vehicle Mm -hmm. is nothing like being next to the vehicle. Right. And I could see like that rear quarter window might've given you a little Camaro esque look, but when you stand and look at the whole Mm -hmm. car, you can start to see the body lines. There's no way I would confuse the two. Right. And they also had the, the current Mach one on the show floor. And so you could stand, look at one and actually, Compare the two. See the changes. And, you know, you can see that there's a nice evolution of that design. And I won't call it revolutionary, but it's. I will tell you, it's very close, Corey. When mm-hmm. you look at the changes in the sheet metal, it's it's a significant improvement in my eyes. Yep. And I'm not normally a Ford kind of guy, as yep. you know. Yep, yep. 
So we had one, yeah, we had the EcoBoost version with the bronze wheels on display for us. It was the first chance I wasn't able to make the Detroit show for air conditioning repair reasons here at the homestead. <laughs> I heard about that. But they brought out an EcoBoost bronze wheel. I, I can't remember the package, some sort of package that gets you those options on the 24 Mustang. And it was up on its own little pedestal glowing jewel box. And yes, uh, I am a lifelong Camaro guy. Like, if it were not for Camaro, I this podcast wouldn't exist. Nothing <laughs> uh, branded GT would exist. And I, I can appreciate the design, the uh, looks of it. I, too, see, and it is in that rear quarter area, a little bit the window, a little how that pillar dips into uh, the trunk line yes on, on paper on 2d images i i can see the resemblance and i could see why people online instantly go to that but yes you see it in person and it, it's a different animal huh and there's a lot to appreciate and the subtleties and the nuance uh, another vehicle i can think of is the new nissan z there's so much yeah. in the design that if you're not there in person, you miss. And in a day and age where products are not getting onto the streets as quickly as even the manufacturers would like for reasons we've already covered on this episode, a lot of keyboard jockeys get on there and wage their heavy opinions. And you know that's what carries until people start seeing them on the streets and can actually vouch for themselves. Yeah, that's that's a those keyboard warriors. That yes. there's, I mean, that could be a topic for any number of sociological, yes. you know, yes. classes. I mean, it's it's starting to eat its way into our car culture in a negative way. And mm. you know, let's face it, you're on Facebook and you see a car driver might post an article, and it's you know, they're kind of seeking people's input. It's always like, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. I don't even have to open the comments to know directionally where those comments go. It's like nobody can just appreciate a vehicle or something in life without being negative about it. It's like, why don't you go buy it and drive it and let's hear what you really think. And this is why I like the reviews like what you and Holly do, especially your family reviews, because it's so real world mm -hmm. and you're not, you know, you're not being critical over the, the fleck count in this in the paint or something it's like <laughs> this is why i especially love about holly she'll yeah. go which model is this <laughs> yes and she's, you know she doesn't care it's, it's like does this work for me yep and that's what i love about those family reviews and i've told you this a million times and i think at some point tucker's going to be giving you guidance from the back seat uh he already has but trying to capture it on camera is difficult <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you're preaching to the choir on the keyboard warriors uh, look no further than my, uh, I think it's 15 second video showing off the front trunk of the F-150 Lightning. Oh my God, I saw that. Like it's still to this day, I am getting so much hate and personal attacks on me Yes. just because of the groceries we decided to load into it or, you know. It's amazing. I, I I am convinced that I still need to do this. I am going to hook a GoPro facing out of the windshield and just drive around Tyler, Texas, 
I may make a time lapse of it and count how many light duty pickup trucks. So I'm talking 1500 model pickup trucks are not actively towing something on the road. Because if you would believe the comment section on any lightning, anything that I've posted, you would imagine that every pickup truck has a trailer hooked up to it at every moment in time. And that's just not the case, especially here in Texas. People use trucks for family vehicles. And right. the Lightning is perfect for that because it is so comfortable, so smooth. It makes little to no concessions when it comes to you get all this size and no compromise on fueling the motivation of such a large vehicle. It blew my mind how cheap such a large vehicle was to motivate down the road. I get it, it especially our model. Uh, I went on Ford's build and price, bringing it back to online build and price. Yeah. The 2023 models took a price hike. As near as makes no difference, 100000 for the spec that we drove. And I get it. That's not feasible to buy a $100,000 vehicle because it is a third of what it costs to drive a gas-powered version per mile does not make sense. But if you're already in the market for a luxury, smooth, quiet, comfortable vehicle, it is worth a look. That is all I want. And yeah, the, the comments, my goodness gracious. But <laughs> but however, it did help your algorithm. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. And uh, has propelled us to a new level. Before we get too far away from it, so you mentioned Detroit. Uh, you saw yeah. the Ford Mustang there. You and I have had some conversations not on the record. What were your thoughts on the show, having been there for many shows years past? Pandemic has changed how things operate. Many different brands, whether it be for logistics reasons, budgetary reasons, have opted not to do major auto shows as in years right. past. What was your opinion on Detroit this year? Well, one, I appreciate that it wasn't in January in Michigan <laughs> because that's – and I you know, worked down the street from the what used to be called Cobo Hall, mm -hmm. and it was very easy for me. We had this thing called the People Mover, which is an above-ground monorail that goes through the Rensen, yep. Renaissance Center. Mm -hmm. You go around a loop, and it, it went right into Cobo, so I never had to go – I could – go without a jacket on and it's January 6th and it's three degrees above zero out. But <sighs> I love the fact it wasn't that time of year. It was not well represented. You had the same show floor, which is immense in that mm -hmm. hall. But for the most part, you really just had the, the old Detroit big three, you know, GM, Ford and Stellantis. Mm -hmm. You had some, I'm going to call them imports because that's how it felt like it wasn't an import focused show. Right that some dealers brought cars down to. So it did, it felt more like a regional show, which I think Jimmy Dinsmore had mentioned mm -hmm. on one year and he's spot on. Now, what I liked about it was you could actually get near the cars right. years past. It was so packed and there's so much money spent on display just for, I think for the international press that you forgot that consumers like to shop for cars. Yes. And so what was beautiful about it, I got in, I was able to get into every car that was there, you know, with the exception of a couple that were locked for right. because they were early builds or whatever. So from that standpoint, I liked it. What I did notice, I went down there with another friend who's currently in the industry. 
And he was looking at things differently than I was. And I got distracted by what were the things that were really standouts here? And it was the number of vehicles with hood scoops. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And so I wrote an article on it, which if you haven't seen, it's called yes. What's the Scoop? And I probably featured 20 vehicles that mm-hmm. had varying degrees of hood scoops on it, which it was a silly distraction for mm-hmm. the show. But it was fun, and I love hood scoops anyway, but it was um, interesting to see how many, mostly Ford and Stellantis products. To that Um, end, uh, at the latest showing that I went to in the State Fair of Texas, Ram unveiled to the public for the first time the 2500 HD Rebel, also with a hood scoop. Sadly, though, not functional. Like, that... That's the biggest offense to me. Like, I get it. Like, they look cool. They portray they portray a spirit of fun and adventure or speed, whatever the case may be. But don't put it on if it's fake, please. And then I, I've got Holly ringing in my mind because we had the Toyota Supra here. And I point blank asked her, like, that is perhaps the biggest offender of fake anything, fake vents, fake scoops, whatever the case may be. She could care less. She thought it looked cool, and that's all that mattered. And so I'm like, okay, just get out of my own way. This is me being in the industry too much, caring, caring a little too passionately about something that, for the mainstream works just fine as is so yeah well this is this is an occupational hazard that you now have because (laughs) as you look at each vehicle it's it's kind of your thing to have to be critical of these things Mm -hmm. you know i'm a car enthusiast at this point in my life i love it i don't care if it works or not i just love the style styling element of it and that's why i got off on that tangent Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of taking a picture of every vehicle with any kind of a scoop you know, even the Z06 Corvette has those massive mm-hmm. side vents. I think they're functional air intakes, <laughs> yes. but they're big, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you talk about occupational hazard and getting stuck on things. Uh, for me here lately, my very odd signal of build quality and luxury is the sound windows make when you roll them down. Like, never mm. in a million years. Would I have imagined that being a barometer? But so far, it has proven pretty true. Interesting. You roll the windows down on... Okay, I'll bash my own cars here. Uh, My 2013 Chevy Cruze. One, it's an economy car. It was built to be cheap. Sticker on it was like right at 20. And you roll the windows down and... To me, it's that familiar sound because it it just sounds like a normal window rolling down. You get in something even like that Buick Envision Avenir that we had with luxury upscale intentions, you push the window button and there's a little less maybe grainy sound to it. it. It's a more smooth, plush, it definitely sounds more upscale and I the fact that I can't even articulate into words how much better these vehicles sound when you roll the windows down versus something more mainstream. I don't know. Yeah. It's one of those signals of quality to me that 
only in my current profession could I even bring up as, here's something weird I've noticed, or even blinkers. Holly rolled her eyes very hard at me on this one. The noise that blinkers make, because it used to be a mechanical click, 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 click. And now a lot of manufacturers are getting away from this. I remember my first vehicle was a 91 Cadillac Eldorado, and it was a mechanical chime. Like, I'm pretty sure there was a weight hitting a metal bell somewhere in my Eldorado because it sounded different than anything else on the road at the time. And now you get all sorts of electronic noises. Pulsar has perhaps the weirdest one I've sampled to date. And then interesting, getting into the 100 plus thousand Mercedes S-Class, it sounded so generic and so quote unquote cheap. I was like, what is this blinker doing in a Mercedes? And that's when Holly rolled her eyes and she's like, wow, you're you're really talking about blinker noises right now? I was like, it's comes with the job i don't i don't know how to i'm sorry well and not to take your tangent farther than it needed <laughs> to go but you i think you're aware that i had this 79 z28 mm-hmm. way back when and in 1980 chevrolet put a functional air induction hood on it mm. and the the flappers opened at the rear mm-hmm. they were solenoid activated with a switch that was off the gas pedal okay and so I converted that car. I was able to get mm-hmm. the air induction hood. And my dad was an engineer at the time at the GM Proving Ground and he had a special plaque made that with a light. So when I wired it in, when the flappers opened, the light came on like a warning light mm-hmm. and it said air induct. And then there was a little switch that I could turn on and off the sound effects. And what I used was the... There was the Cadillac chime at the time mm. that if you had your door open and it literally was like a doorbell go ding, mm-hmm. ding. And it was a basically a clapper that was hitting mm-hmm. that little sound bar. Yeah. And so when I found that car, rediscovered that car last year after 40 years, I was talking to the current owner of the car and I said, does it still have those Cadillac chimes? He goes, oh, no, I took that out. That was irritating. <laughs> <He> goes, <laughs> oh, that... That's a little disheartening. You know, you and I have got to talk about the thrill because I ask all my guests when I do an interview, buying a car versus building a car. You know, you can buy something that's prepackaged that appeals to the masses, or you can take what you're really getting into, especially here in this stage of your life, and that's buying something a little cheaper out the door, but making it truly yours. I know uh, yes. what what is the branding you have given your current Subaru Outback base oh, camp? Oh. Let me see. I happen to have. <laughs> oh, there it is. Yes, base camp. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I was attracted to that brand because of the Outback Wilderness, mm-hmm. especially the blue that it came in, mm-hmm. and that's when I. But it's like, hey, I'm going to go after that. And I had a really good sales consultant who did his job to find out if that was the right vehicle for me. And he said, okay, so how are you going to use it? And I'm explaining. He's like, he goes, no offense, but I don't really see you needing the wilderness package to go to Kroger. Right. <laughs> That's So he, he talked me into the premium package, which is one step above the base. Mm. 
He goes, why don't you just make it your own? I'm like, oh, you're singing to me, baby. <laughs> and you know, sure enough, I did the wheels and tires. Mm -hmm. I did a couple of other blackout treatments. And then I thought, well, I need to create, I love the badge, you know, and I had to come up with a name for it. Mm -hmm. And everything else seemed to be taken. Yes. So base camp. I like it. I approve. And uh, I've enjoyed watching the evolution of your outback. And credit where credit is due, that is an excellent salesman uh, because so easy. I, I spent four plus years in sales myself and I was honest and upfront. I sold swimming pools. I would tell people, I really don't think you given everything you've shared with me about your life and where you're at, I don't think you want the maintenance of a swimming pool, but yep. we're here for you. If you follow through and sure enough, they did. Uh, they appreciated. Well, would you rather have a hot tub? <laughs> yes. Uh, they appreciated my candor and my honesty and uh, basically said, we, we will go with it and we will only come to you for service information and how to maintain it. So, you know, it speaks volume. So really cool that, especially in modern era, that you've got sales associates that are willing to say, you know, you would be happier in this. And have you considered that? And even basically talking you down. Uh, so kudos. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I typically go in, you know, I know what I want. I'm yeah. going to order. And, and they would try. You know, yeah. that happened at many. They tried, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to get this. And then a year later, I was trading for something different that truly fit my needs. Yep, yeah, yeah. Well, Bill, you and I could go on for hours and hours and hours. Yes. Uh, but unfortunately, I'm looking over at the timer counting next to me on the soundboard. And we will have to save the rest of this discussion for a future episode. Uh, as always, we thank Bill Taylor, the Vehicle Nanny, for joining us Head on over, check him out at VehicleNanny.com. Go buy some of his merch. He's got some really fun stuff. Do you still have the Respect Your Elders shirt on your site? I do. I love that one. So And coffee mugs, too. So if you don't want a shirt, yeah. it, everything is available on a coffee mug. Yeah, so you know his story if you followed this podcast for any length of time. His father was very instrumental, was basically the father of the K5 Blazer, as we know and love it. And so you pay homage to that with your respect your elder shirt. And I, I need to get one of those on order. Perhaps that'll be my birthday gift to myself. So you'll be seeing one order come through this week, Bill. And you will see that in a future GT Garage Talk review on the channel as well. But Bill, anything else for our listeners before we sign off? No, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to share some of my experiences. It's fun. As you can tell, this even at my advanced years, it's it never goes away. So I just appreciate you out there because you have a nice, varied um, perspective on not only the industry, but vehicles. And I appreciate that you're trying to show just that different angle that the rest of us don't see. And I applaud you for what you're doing. I think you've done a wonderful job. And this is why you've seen the growth that you did. So keep doing what you're doing. And uh, I can only imagine where this will go. Well, thank you very much, Bill. Uh, who, who knows? I'm just chasing the views, chasing the comments. And we'll see how this evolves over time. But uh, as always, Great. been a blast chatting with you today. <laughs> All right. Take care. 
And so with that, we bring another episode to a close. Again, always great talking with Bill. We had a long hit list of things we thought we could cover, might cover, may venture into the topic of that we only skimmed the surface of. We are working on a little more in-depth future episode. You'll have to go find us on Patreon to see a little bit more of what that looks like. Patreon.com slash GT Garage Talk. I am making it my mission to get all of the aftermarket clips up, but at the $5 and up tier, you get access to just a little bit more conversation to each week's guest, each week's topic uh, on a segment we call the aftermarket and just have a little bit more conversation each week about whatever was covered on the main podcast episode or might tease that stuff for the future. So huge thanks to Bill for his willingness to jump on and talk with us this week. You can go check him out again, vehiclenanny.com and then gtgaragetalk.com for all that we do. Till next time, gearheads. Bye. Bye.